Thank you for joining us for Behind the Confidence Smile, the podcast with Bianca Cotton. That's me, y'all. And I have special guests here, Elle Davis. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bianca. I am so excited to be here <laughs> and cannot wait to dig into this topic today. Oh, definitely. I'm so excited you're here to share your journey to being a widow. What a journey it has been, let me tell you. But we're going to talk about all the good, the bad, and the otherwise. <laughs> yes. So tell us, how did you meet your husband? So uh, it's funny story is I turned 30 in August mm. of 2007 and was like, okay, this is my year, right? Like, it's going to happen. This is my year. Had been dating somebody off and on who was driving me bananas, <laughs> as men sometimes do. Y'all do. Mm -hmm. Anyway. <laughs> so it was September. My girls and I are, we're sports fans. So we decided to go out and watch football games, right? So this one Sunday, we had had a meeting earlier in the day from an organization I was part of, and they were like, oh, it's Sunday night football, we're going out. And I was like, I don't feel like it. I'm in a bad mood. I don't want to be bothered. We go out to this place um, down in River North, watch Sunday night football. We walk in the bar. This man is obnoxious, y'all. Like... I was like, who is this obnoxious guy at the bar? Like, what is happening? And I had had enough. We're watching the game. And I'm like, okay, I've hung out for an hour. It's time for me to go. So I get up to leave. And he says, the obnoxious guy says, looks at me and was like, where are you going? The game's not even over. And I was like, I'm good. And he's like, you can't walk out of here with your fly earrings and your this and that. And I was like, who, who are you? What is happening right now? Lo and behold, an hour later, we're still talking. He starts the conversation by saying, well, I'm not going to ask you for your number because I'm moving. I'm going, you know, I went through a divorce and, you know, I'm moving to be closer to my daughter. And next thing I knew, he's like, well, I'd be a fool not to ask you for your number. <laughs> And so what turned into a text me when you get home was a four hour conversation wow. that night. Right. Right. I was like, oh, OK, I just talked to this man for four hours. And our first date a week later was 12 hours long. 12 hour date. Please, please explain to me how you meet someone the week before, have a four hour conversation and then have a 12 hour date. He picked me up and we like, he was just like, we're going to go to the movies. We're going to go to Panera. We play games. It was just our conversations just kept flowing. Like every time we connected, like, I don't think that first week we had a conversation that was less than an hour. And it was just like the conversation just kept flowing, kept flowing, kept flowing. And I was just like, September 23rd of 2007, I walked into, I can't even remember the name of the restaurant at this time, and had no idea that that man would be my husband. Paul Fitzgerald Davis would become my husband, right? Mm. It was just crazy. So um, we dated for probably three and a half years before he proposed. 
Um, I guess, yeah, just under three, three and a half years because he talked about like all my friends were like getting married and having babies. And he was just like, you just on the, you on the timeline, you trying to pressure into everything, everybody having babies. And I was like, no, I'm good, but I'm not about to date you forever either. That part. Like that part, like, let's be clear. (laughs) Um, and so he proposed to me December 7th of 2010 Mm. And he proposed on the seventh because it was his parents' wedding anniversary, and How his sweet. It was sweet. It was <laughs> sweet. And his he 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 proposed to me at work because he said, <laughs> I, "Now that's odd, I know, right?" But he said that I'm so nosy, and he didn't. He could not figure out another way to surprise me without me like figuring it out and knowing. Mm-hmm. So I literally was like eating my lunch. And he walks in like, what you eating over there, girl? And I was like, wait, what? What is happening? What's going on? Lo and behold, this man gets down on the knee and proposes to me at work. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How did you feel in that moment after three and a half years of dating? Y'all met at a restaurant. (laughs) Sunday night football. Yeah. I mean, I just, it was like surreal because... So one of the things he did tell me, I'm like, let me back up and tell you a little bit more of the story. So one of the things he did tell me is that after two weeks, that God placed on his heart that I was his wife. Wow. And I was, and so I think the pressures that he started talking about feeling were more so for me, like, well, if God said I'm your wife, then what's, what's the holdup, right? Mm. Like, what are you waiting for? Um, and so in that moment when he proposed, I'm just, I mean, I've never had anybody propose to me before. Right. So I was just like, oh, okay. Like, this is super cool. Right. The ring was beautiful. Something I don't think I would have picked out, even though we had like been looking at rings. It was just very unique. It was very antique-ish. Um, I'm not a diamonds girl. So even it still had diamonds, but they were small and tiny. It, it was just really beautiful. Wow. And so like that night we went to an Italian restaurant to celebrate our <laughs> engagement. You know, I was like, I was, you know, I'm engaged. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and you said something key. This was you had not been proposed to before. Mm-hmm. So by this age, you were how old? So I was what? 33. 33. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was my first, I was like, okay. And so one of the significant things is Paul was 14 years older than me. Mm. And, um, I remember when I met him, I told my mom, not 14, I'm sorry, 13 years older than me. And I told my mom, my mom was a young teen mom. Right. So she had me right after high school graduation. And so I was like, he's closer age to you than he is to me. <laughs> she feel about that she was like if he love you girl bye and I was just like yeah but he's like your peer not my peer Mm. you know um so I had to get that was a little yeah the age gap and how did you feel about him being married before that didn't bother me too bad because I I feel like you know, sorry, listeners, sorry, men, listeners that are listening, <laughs> but I feel like men need kind of a first go round sometimes. <laughs> so the thing, I'll, I'll pack that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the thing is, is you know, especially because he was thirteen years older than me, mm-hmm. I expected it to a certain degree, right? Like, you're not going to get a man in their early forties often that hasn't already been married or been engaged or like really gone through something significant in a relationship. So I think I was just like, okay, 
So he's had a relationship. He knows, right? Even though I hadn't been married, I felt like I saw enough in relationships to to be ready for it. And so I just felt like, okay, well, if he didn't get it right the first time or she didn't get it right or whatever, here's an opportunity for him to do it right again, right? So that that's, that's kind of how I felt. Mm, that's good. So bring us into your wedding day. Like how long did it take from engagement to wedding day? Girl, six months. I, oh, quick. Yeah, yeah, I ain't got time. I was listen, I was like, I'm in my early thirties, won't have no time for no year engagement. I'm not a fairy tale wedding girl, so I didn't have this like fairy tale of a wedding planned. Um and it's funny that we're doing this interview just a few days ago. Um, earlier this week someone asked me, Can you send me pictures of you in your wedding dress? Um, because I was talking to a family member about your wedding dress and it's so unique. So I had my wedding dress crocheted Mm -hmm. and literally my designer lived in Atlanta. We sat at a diner in Atlanta, sketched out the wedding dress and she made it. Wow. Yeah. And so it was phenomenal. Like that and my bridesmaid dress. I only have one bridesmaid. So my So we decided quickly, like, okay, we'll have a June wedding because we're going to do this in six months. And for me, I just wanted a party, really, right? Like, I was like, I want an intimate party and I wanted to get married outside. I always wanted to get married outside. So we got married at the Japanese Garden in mm-hmm. Jackson Park. Still to this day, one of beautiful my most place. favorite places in the city, right? It's beautiful. And I had a crocheted wedding dress that had Kari shells on it. And then the back of it was like a spider web, kind of mm. looks like a spider web. So absolutely phenomenal dress. He was like simple in a nice linen cream suit. Um, and it was perfect, right? It was a simple like ceremony. We did the four elements, you know, like the the sweet, sour, spice, like that was great. We um, jumped the broom. It was awesome. And then we had a party. Like Sounds we, beautiful. <laughs> it was great. And then our colors were like a like a green and yellow. Mm. So it was very springy, Fall, very springish. yeah, it was the light color. So okay. it was more spring, summer, and it just it felt good. I remember just smiling. My best friend was like, You are the calmest bride I've ever seen in life. And I'm like, girl, I'm ready. Like, let's do this. And um, we had an all-out party at the Connection of, uh, location in Bronzeville. I support Black-owned businesses. That day, one of the things that was important to me about us getting married, too, was supporting a lots of Black-owned businesses. And people don't always think about that, right? But it was like I was very intentional from my planner to food to limousine to photographer, everything. That's it good. was all like people of color. Um, to make sure that, you know, we pour back into the community. So, definitely, yeah. definitely. Keep the village keep the, alive keep and well. Keep the village alive and well. So now you're married. When did you get pregnant? Girl, <laughs> my child is a honeymoon baby. Ah. <laughs> and what's funny is my doctor literally said, now don't go on your honeymoon and get pregnant. So because, you know, another thing that happens, especially with black women, is I literally sat in the doctor's office a week before and she was telling me about fibroids that I had. Mm. And so this is a common factor among black women, especially. And we don't know where they come from. 
Um, fibroids impact our ability to get pregnant. It impacts our monthly cycles. It impacts, and it can just impact our mood and everything, right? Weight gain, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so we really, we sat in the doctor's office unsure if we could get pregnant because she's like, your fibroids are huge. And yeah, two months later, I was like, yeah, I don't feel good. And she was like, yeah, let's do pregnancy tests. Oh, you're pregnant. And initially she thought I was pregnant with twins because my hormone levels were just so high. And my husband's a twin. Mm. So I was just like, oh, Lord. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm about to have two. Um, But it just turned out I was a little further along than anticipated. So first year marriage, we were like, oh, so we're about to be parents. Right. And he was already a father. Um, He had a daughter from his previous marriage. And so, lo and behold, my daughter, who we had er decided early her name would be Simone, Simone's original due date was the same as her big sister. Wow. Which was March 2nd. But turned out Simone came a little bit later. I still had to be induced March 8th. But so her and her sister are six days apart. Wow. (laughs) And nine years. (laughs) Right. Plus the years. Plus the years. What happened with the fibroids? I'm curious. Like, how was that? Wow, being pregnant. It was tough. It was tough. I had a really difficult pregnancy. And early on, like when I was probably five months, you would have thought I was ready to deliver or Mm. either that I had twins. Um, So I ended up slowing down very early on. I never got put on bed rest, but I did have to wear like a waistband that supports you to like hold your belly up. Um, Just had a lot of pain. In a lot of different ways. Did not sleep hardly at all. It was just, you know, I remember for a while, I didn't even sleep in the bed. I had to uh, sleep on the couch with my, like, because I I needed to be propped up. Oh, wow. Yeah, to sleep. So I was so relieved to get that baby out of me. <laughs> and birth such a beautiful daughter. Such a beautiful <laughs> thank daughter. You, thank you. Now, time goes by. Take us. Now on the journey to your husband's passing, Mm -hmm. like how soon after being married and having a child um, did he pass? Yeah. So it was um, April 2014, um, April 16th to be exact, when Paul passed. Totally unexpected. Um, Simone had just turned two in March, right? So a month before and it was, what, two months before our third wedding anniversary. Wow. So um, it was a spring break week for CPS. My daughter's childcare was, like, on the same CPS schedule, so it was closed that week. Um, Wednesday morning, we woke up. We were, Paul and I were early morning talkers, right? So when we would wake up, we'd wake up early, and we would just share our hopes and dreams and talk about all the things that we wanted to do and So April 16th was no different. We woke up, we're like in this great conversation about just like life and all the things we're going to accomplish. He was going to go play tennis. Um, My mom and I were taking my daughter to the Children's Museum. Regular day, right? And all of that happened. And he calls me two o'clock in the afternoon and he's like, He's like, I couldn't play, finish playing tennis. I was like, What do you mean you couldn't finish playing tennis? He was just like, I don't know. He's like, I just don't feel good. I was like, are you having a cramp? Like, what's happening? And so he's an athlete. So, you know, you're kind of thinking, like, it's a cramp. He's like, I think it's just a cramp. I think I just need to rest. I'm like, okay. He rode his bike to go play tennis, which was about maybe a mile bike ride, right? 
And so he's like, yeah, I'm going to get my bike home and just lay down. Cool. I get home. I didn't realize he was already home. And he's laying down. And I'm like, you know, I do the whole, like, at-home remedy. You need a banana. You need some Gatorade, <laughs> right, for cramps, right? Like, that's what we do. You need banana. Right. <laughs> get the- those crackers. <laughs> So I'm just like, and he's, and he's kind of laughing it off too. Like, no, I'm good. Like, I just need to rest, you know, whatever. I'm like, okay. And our routine kind of in the evening would be, he would do, I would cook, he would clean the dishes and then do bath time and bedtime. So of course he's not feeling well. So I'm like, okay, I'm a cook. I'll do the dishes. And he's just like, yeah, I don't really feel like eating. I'm like, you don't feel like eating. Okay. I know something wrong. Like what's going on? But he's like, I just think I need rest. I'll be fine. He still gave Simone a bath. I'm like, okay, cool. So he gives Simone a bath. He puts her down. He's laying in the bed. I lay down. And I'm like, you need anything before I go to sleep? He's just like, no. Okay, cool. So I get into bed about a little before 10, maybe. Mm-hmm. Give him a kiss. You know, he's like, I'll feel better in the morning. About 11, um, I hear Simone's little pitter-patter coming down the hallway And she climbs in our bed. And if she did that, usually Paul would get up, go put her back in her room, be like, it's okay, babe, you're cool. And she climbed in the bed. He didn't move. I was just like, okay, I'll let her climb in the bed. But she's like climbing in the bed and rustling and moving around. And I'm like, what are you doing? And so I touch Paul to be like, get your baby. And Paul is not moving. Mm. He's stiff. Mm. So my heart, like, mm, my heart, like, instantly sank. And I jumped out the bed, and I jump over to his side of the bed, and I have my phone in my hand. And I turn on the light on my phone because I'm like, I don't want to startle Simone. I'm not sure what's going on. And I put my phone on his face, and I'm like, my husband is not alive. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, Okay, so you you know your brain is like going five thousand miles a minute, right? You don't know what to do in that moment. So I I get the phone, I call nine one one, I call my mom. My parents are like, we're on our way, right? I grab Simone, I go to the front, I like, and it, honestly, in that moment, I'm like, do I unlock the door? Do I like? I don't want the fire department to have to like knock down the door I'm like it's just all these weird things are like going through your head and we live in a three flat we lived in a three flat building and I had neighbors below and I'm like do I tell the neighbors do I wake them up like I I don't know what to do and then I called one of my girlfriends who is um single no kids and I'm like you need to get to my house now so I know I have people on the way um the paramedics get there and you know, they go straight to my bedroom and I hear them back there. Right. I hear them doing stuff back there. And um, my parents come up the stairs and they're like, what's going on? And the, the firemen start coming out one by one. They start filing out and nobody's saying anything to me. And they're not even looking at me like they're literally walking, like looking down like this. And I'm like my heart starts beating really fast and Simone's in my arms. And then I guess it's the fire chief. He comes out and he goes, ma'am, I'm so sorry for your loss. Mm. Bianca, 
it was like a movie scene because I remember screen, you know how in the movies something happens and the woman just like bellows out the scream. Simone's in my arms and I just bellow out the scream like, no. And the, the wildest thing of all of it, like I'm looking at my baby. She's two years old. She doesn't flinch. She doesn't say anything. She's calm and still. And I was like, that's eerie, right? And it wasn't until after that I feel like Paul's spirit like literally went into her. Like she she knew as much as, as she could for a two-year-old. She knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. She knew what had taken place. And she was just calm. And um, my mom and dad got there. My, my friend got there. And we were like all in shock. You know, and like one of the things that stands out that night was, which was really crazy, is the police come in and of course, because this is my husband and he died in the home, they asked tons of questions. My dad was so pissed. He was just like, my daughter just lost her husband. What are y'all doing? And he's like, they're like, sir, we're just doing our job. You know, and I'm like, daddy, they got to make sure I didn't kill the man. Right. Hmm. Um, and that's a hard pill to swallow. It is. Right? Because in that moment. In that moment, you're trying to process and figure out like what's happening. And then you have these police officers that are like, when was the last thing he ate? When was the last thing? you know, like mm. and you're just like, seriously? seriously? Right now. Right now, you gotta do this. Mm. Um But yeah, April sixteenth, my husband went to sleep and he did not see another day. Mm. How did that feel the next day for you? The next day was surreal because I hadn't sl- I didn't go back to sleep. Like I slept for that one hour from like 10ish to 11. And then I I don't think I slept again for like 2 days, right? So as the morning started to come, like my friend was like, "You ready for me to tell people?" Mm. And I was like, I, yeah, I'm like, people got to know, right? Um, and even from a social media aspect, I didn't really use social media a lot, but I remember at like 5 a.m. that morning, I put my heart aches. And that's all I put on Facebook. I was just like, my heart aches. And um, people start immediately like responding, like, you know, like, what's going on? What's happening? And then somebody that I don't even talk to on a regular basis was just like, is Paul okay? And I was like, whoa, like, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it was just like soaking it all in and just, I was reliving that night and, and my, my, my village though. Oh, I'm so grateful for my village because when I say they just stepped in and showed out and just came to my aid and like, didn't even, they took away my thinking. Right. Like they made sure that things were happening and especially like for my daughter and everything so that I didn't have to think. And Mm. that is a blessing. That was a blessing. Yeah. That was a blessing. I can only imagine what it would have been like if you didn't have that support. I'm not sure that I'd be here talking to you right now. Mm. I'm I'm just not sure that that would actually happen right yeah like the support is what I've been able to rally around and what like kept me going Mm -hmm. so yeah 
So in in that moment, the days to come after the services were had, you have to create like this new normal, not only for yourself, but your two-year-old daughter at the time. And you're instantly an only parent. How How did you go about creating this new life? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, how did I go about creating this new life? One moment at a time, right? Like, it was just like, okay, I know that. So, so let me just say, with my support system, one of the things that happened is that I had friends that, like, stayed in my house off and on for, like, nine months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, slept on the couch, woke up, like, Simone needs to get to childcare. You need to do X, Y, and Z. Like, let's make sure this happens, right? Um, so I think that that was a big part of it. I think it was just still my mom um, started coming to church with Simone and I and taking Simone to her church, right? So it was like I had this breathing time on Sunday to just be by myself. Um, it just people showing up is how I was able to get through it. But you know, that first time somebody like called me a widow or that first time somebody said like, you're a single parent. I was like, Oh, come on now. Y'all is tripping. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because you were 35 or 36. Yeah. 30, 36. Yeah. 36 and a widow. And you just got married a couple of years prior. And to me, a widow was an old white woman. (laughs) Literally. Like, and the reason I associate that is because every time we would, like, see a movie or you see something on TV, it was always older white women that talked about being a widow. So this notion of this young black girl from the south side of Chicago being a widow at 36 with a two-year-old. It changed the face of that narrative. This is the face, right? Real quick. My, My face. And I'm just like, and here we are. I mean, it's eight. It's been eight years, eight, over eight years, eight and a half years since Paul passed. And unfortunately, do you know how many young black widows I've met? I, I know. I see your recordings. <laughs> it's several. 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 So what, as we wrap up this conversation, what would you say to a young black woman who may have recently lost their spouse? What do I say to the women? I, I'm, first of all, like, it's important for me to know that, like, I see you, right? Like, you're seen, you're heard, because that's important. Um, second of all, it's you really have to take this life moment by moment and don't think that you have to hurry through grief or don't think that your grief process has to look like someone else's. Because we just don't know, right? Um, Everybody grieves in a different way. And, you know, I tell people, the women that I've met that are widows, I tell them, like, you will smile again. You will be happy again. And it's going to come in phases and it's going to come in ways that you didn't really expect it. And even with that happiness, it'll bring some sadness because you'll say, I wish my spouse was here to experience this with me. But it's like, I have to remind people that if your spouse was supposed to be here to experience that thing, they would. 
And if they're not here, it's unfortunately just meant because they're not supposed to be here. Who? Hell. Who? I know. It's a lot. It's, uh, I'm just, I'm sitting with, I'm sitting with all that you shared today. I thank you for opening your heart, opening chapters of your book of life to help someone else who may have experienced it uh, in the previous years or just newly um, is in that moment. And I hope that this episode brings you some level of comfort knowing that you are not alone in the journey and there are other people out there that can support you. So thank you for tuning in for today's episode of Behind the Confident Smile, the podcast.